You're listening to the Substandard Model. Let's fucking go! Sam's talking about animals again. Any and all attempts that have been made to subdue Sam's love for the natural world have been ignored. He will never stop using Latin names to go about his daily business. Because, as he said, it's what he's goddamn paid to do. This is not a drill. Please remain calm. Do not panic. This is not a test. Prepare your ears for some more animals. So, as humans, we are drawn to extremes. We're fascinated by the extreme. You don't, you, you don't want to know about all animals. You, you want to know about the, the oldest, the, the, the biggest, the best, the worst, mm. the smallest, the fastest, the thinnest, the, the most something, right? Top this is, this 10 is, most mostists. Top ten most most is this is this is what you're seeing. Top this ten is ten things. This is tapping into a fundamental desire in our brain to understand the the you know, we don't just want to see a big animal, we want to see the biggest animal. We want the pleasure that we receive from seeing a big animal to be maximized. The right, first that's what we want. Episode of a show, the last episode of a show. Exactly, the... exactly. And I, this is a baseline from which I decided to draw my fact. Knowing that we are interested in extremes, and not just any extremes, we're interested in the extraordinarily big, right? The extraordinarily big. Um, that that that's something that we've been trying to figure out for a long time. You know, what's the biggest, the biggest um, big. planet, the biggest person, the biggest, you know, the biggest a tree, and yes, the biggest animal. And there's a lot of answers out there, right? This is, I would say, out of all the topics I've researched. Probably the one with the most just sheer wrong answers. Okay, you can guess. What's the, blue, what is the biggest whale. animal in the world? So, okay, think about that for a second. The biggest animal in the world. I would like okay. to... It's a blue harder whale, question. Or it's that fungal network, network that goes for two kilometers under that. Well, the what was forest. the first word you said there? Fungal. Fungal. That ain't, no, that ain't an animal, buddy. So, yeah, <laughs> not, not, big, not the biggest animal. For, okay, if you're if you're defining blue biggest whale. in terms it's of blue whale, it's bl- log yeah, in okay, blue fine. whale. Right, Point right, answer. fine. If you must be a millionaire. If you're defining biggest in terms of weight, probably is the blue whale. It might have been a Patago Titan or something. We don't fucking know how big those those sauropods were, but yes, in terms of weight, probably is a blue whale. But who cares about weight? You can't see weight, okay? You can't see weight. I don't care about weight. I'm not here to answer the weight question. Whenever someone says this is the biggest thing by weight, I always feel like it's a cop-out because what I want to know is length. I want to yeah. know length. Girth. Thick depth. You know, this is what I want to know. And the blue whale is pretty long, like 30 meters. Long, right? I want to I wanna surpass 30 meters. I want to surpass 40 meters. I want to surpass 50 meters. I, w- I want my animals to be 50 meters long. <laughs> and um, animals 50 meters long. Okay. The world's sexiest peacock. What, what? <laughs> so um, I'm going to pause pause for a second, right? Pause button. We've considered the biggest animal. I would also like to, to throw, throw my hat in the other ring. And let's just try and consider the true range of animal sizes. What's the smallest animal? It's a question that we don't get asked a lot. What do you okay. think the smallest animal is, Henry? Uh, does a tardigrade count? 
Like, is it? Are we talking? Yeah, about oh, of course it does. Were the nematode animal, worms? They're animals. They're all animals. Tardigrades yeah. are closely related to to insects. You, these are all actosomes you've mentioned. You know, um, um, these are all small it, animals. Sure, no, they're not the smallest. Oh, nowhere near. Nowhere near. Wow. Not those, no. those are huge, colossals compared to the smallest What's animal. The smallest. Things now, okay. Like... Okay, smallest. So, tardigrades. You know, nematodes. These are all different phylums in the animal kingdom. Right, chordates, vertebrates, that's a phylum. In, uh, arthropods, that's a phylum, right? We, we group things generally into phylums. There are about nine phylums that matter and 20 more phylums that don't, right? Now, not only am I going to tell you what the biggest and smallest animals in the world are, I'm going to, to um, proposition the going through the roof. that they are in the same phylum, Henry. The biggest and the smallest animals in the world share a phylum. Wow, that's actually really impressive. Yeah. That is that is that is the, the truth which I'm going to be speaking today. Some people and, might um, not find that impressive because they don't know what a phylum is. A phylum, a phylum is just you know, it's like a it's a vaguely useful way to categorize. It's below kingdom, you know, animals and fungi and plants. They're a big deal. If you want to get one more layer of specificity, you know, you want to you want to go one inch deeper into the the information soup. You you start to talk about phylums. And once you get a few inches deeper than that, you've you've gone, you've gone you've gone mad. Um, phylum, phylums are you know, I like a good phylum. Um, we speak in phylums. And first of all, before I before I prove this point, I need to dis- discount a claim which has been made by what I can only describe as a madman who is crazy and not sane. Um, it is to do with. A possible contender which may beat out my submission, right? This is the only guy who's ever been recorded as being as, as beating my my um star player. And this guy came in at about 60 meters. Oof. Is that is that the animal? The giant sea string that's 60 meters Holy, long and absolutely zero was, volume. I mean fucking hell, that was remarkably close. Um giant yeah, so sea between about 180 feet between 55 and 60 meters um, was there was a record in 1864 near St Andrews in the UK washed up on on a beach right and this this was a bootlace worm bootlace the giant bootlace a bootlace worm now these guys are about okay so they're about a centimeter in width <laughs> and they're some guys black. Like they look like <laughs> they look. They look like like a string of licorice. Basically, they're mm. literally these flat shoelace boot or bootlace shaped objects that can kind of grow as long as they want because all they really are is a big tube, and they can kind of sustain themselves as they mm. get bigger. You know, and um, do they have multiple anuses along their length, or 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 do they just digest for years? They just digest for, for. They don't have multiple ani. They they kind of ani is that. I can only assume. No one I, has I'm, ever I, had to use the plural of anus before. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the thing the thing with this, the worm is that it's like because it's so long and thin, it's essentially one long like blood vessel. Like it kind of manages to like subvert the whole issue of surface area to volume ratio. Um, which is the biggest problem with a big animal, as you might expect. If I asked you what the biggest constraint on why animals can't get big, 
the answer is surface area to volume ratio. You uh-huh. know, that's, that's, your, that's your answer. And it means that as an animal gets bigger in terms of its volume, its surface area doesn't scale properly with that. So if it needs to get stuff from its environment, it can't get stuff enough quickly enough to sustain its size. The bigger you get, the harder it is to sustain yourself, mm. just in terms of getting stuff from your environment. And when you're a worm, that's particularly important. So one way to fix that is you can go super, super long, but maybe keep, keep your width real small to keep that, keep that volume not, not actually too big. And that's what the bootless worm's done. So if we're talking length, if you want to get a really long light animal, you might, you might end up having quite a thin animal just because it's mathematical fact. Wait, is this your animal or is this the competitor? This is, your this is the con- this is the competitor, and I'm going to argue. Is your animal is similar shape to this animal? Ish, ish. But I, I'm I'm going to argue this is a bullshit record, a complete bullshit record. Right? We should not trust this record. First of all, we've been finding bootless worms for a long time, right? I've seen bootless worms. Bootless worms show up a lot. They're usually about ten meters, right? Ten meters is like quite a big bootless worm. Like that's the biggest worm you find that day. If you spend the whole day looking for bootlace worms, right, and no one's ever found a live one that measures longer than about ten, fifteen meters, they find some dead ones that are a bit bigger. The biggest dead one that's been found, properly, the longest length of a of a like properly recorded one is about twenty eight meters, right. But the thing is, once you get bigger than that, once they get dead, they shrink a lot when they die because they're no longer pumping water around their body. So they sh- they coil up, right? And this means you can essentially get like a 30 meter long worm into one jar because they shrink really, really insanely. Like by a factor of like 20, they can just completely coil up and shrivel. Right. And that means that a lot of the estimates for the biggest worms come from estimating their original size, having before just seen shrunk. them as the shrunk before they shrunk. So before you're seeing like, you're seeing a worm that's maybe only like five or six meters long, and you're saying, oh, well, given how much it's coiled, it was probably about 40 meters long, right? That's what most of the top-end estimates are doing. I don't like that, personally. You know, you found a dead animal that wasn't this big, and you're guessing it might have been this big at some point. Even that already, I'm suspicious on. But but if you if you go with the recent records, you know, we have some samples that maybe say, sure, maybe, maybe... That, that's probably not an unrealistic estimate for how big it was. But even so, we're only getting to about 30 meters here, reliably. Right. The 60-meter worm from St. Andrews, which would be double the length of any worm we have ever found, this was estimated by looking at like the shriveled length in a jar of a rapidly like dissolving, rapidly like breaking down. Like this, this worm was pretty much like almost decomposed by this point. And it was only half of the worm because they broke the worm in half when they were gathering it. So they only roughly, so the guy was like, okay, this is roughly half the worm. So we're just going to double the size of this and say that was the size of the worm. That's a bit of science. So what what the guy's basically done is this, this is some fucking dick waving 1864 dude walking up on a beach. Barely. He's not, he's not a qualified scientist really. He's just like a dude. And he's found this worm. He's accidentally cut it in a in like half, but you can't tell it's half. Like if it's a sixty meter worm, you can't tell if it's half. You can just tell it's a bit. You've gathered up what you think is probably the bigger bit, and you put it in a jar, and then you've seen how much it's shriveled by based on its dead. You've guessed how big it probably was originally, and you doubled that, and you got sixty meters. Sorry, you're counting that as twice the length of any worm previously collected before or since. I'm not buying that. Something fucked up. You fucked up there. 
Okay, they weren't as tied in knots. The worm could have been coiled more than normal. Yeah, we get it. it. We get it. Desic- it could have been desiccated by the sun. It could have been swam. I'm, I'm calling because if you Google it, largest animal, you see bootleg swam everywhere, right? Like it's got the fame, but SMH. if you actually look at the source, SMH, it's completely bullshit. It was an eight-inch wide jar, five-inch deep, and only thirty yards of the worm were actually measured. The rest was just extrapolated. So, like, fuck you. If you haven't actually measured this as being the largest animal, it's not the largest animal. Like, like this is like this is like saying that the blue whale is the largest animal by like having its tongue and guessing how big it must have been. So if I'm gonna say the bootlace worm does not fit my my level of um of quality analysis, right? It doesn't right. pass the test. I think I've made my I've made my case why this particular St Andrew's record is is um, not reliable. And once you've once you've gotten rid of the fifty-five meter, sixty meter, sixty meter guy, you're looking at some thirty, forty meter worms, which are pretty impressive. But they don't actually beat this next biggest thing animal. I'm about to mention: the biggest animal. Right. I'm the biggest guessing animal. it's a sea creature. I'm guessing it's not got a face, not got eyes, not a mammal. Can be some Correct. sort of stringy jelly thing. Okay, now I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical. I'm a little worried about how you're going to react to this because you, do you remember when I meant when you mentioned the Portuguese man of war earlier today? Yeah, Uh-oh. and I and I said, oh, isn't no, that Sam. interesting? Because because I'm about to, I'm going to bring that up later. Sam. Yeah. Um. So yeah. the Portuguese man of war is a, a siphonophore, and it's a hydrozoan. So it's a, it's a it's a colonial organism basically. It's an organism which is built out of little other organisms. Imagine, um, I think I said this earlier, but like, imagine if all your organisms were little people, like all your organs were little people, like your kidney was a little person, your liver was a little person, your skin was a little person, your penis was a little person, and they're all different people. They can't live on their own. Like your penis couldn't live on its own because it doesn't have a, I mean, it could live on its own, but it would starve because it doesn't have a stomach. And your stomach would live on its own, but it couldn't reproduce because it doesn't have a penis because your penis is another, is a separate dude altogether mm. with his own life. You know, so technically they can survive on their own, but only but they can't by virtue of the fact that they're hyper specialized and they're individual animals. But also, definitionally speaking, why are they individual animals? Like they can't do any of the things individual animals do. So typically, these individuals always are considered part of a larger organism, and it's just a colonial organism. It's a kind of organism that's one organism that just happens to be made of zoids. And if you if you can if you're happy with cloning organisms as being an organism, which scientists are, right? Like that's not really you know yeah, debated. Yeah, I'm cool like, with it's that. a thing. Cool. When, if you're cool with that, then the giant siphonophore takes it by an absolute landslide, right? Body length fifty meters, hundred and sixty feet. That that would only just be beaten by the worm by five meters, and that worm was sussy as hell. This has been seen like alive in the sea off like Iceland. Like this is this is a proper like scene swimming type deal. About as thin as a broomstick. So a bit, a bit thicker than the worm. But I mean, we've we've come across yeah. another genius solution to the surface so area cool volume of, ratio problem. Like an ice it's, dragon. Oh yeah, exactly. Like the thing the thing is the worm was still one organ one object. Like it was still one organism. So its surface area volume ratio was still a problem. If you're made of loads of different individual organisms, arbitrarily you can get as big as you want. Right. These org- these little individual zoids really beautiful. have their own surface area to volume ratio. You can just keep adding them on the end. It's like a giant white tendril 
that's got like a big sort of skull-like head. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The head sort of is weird, ugly, and it's got lots of little streamers that come off it. It's like a like a Chinese dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's what that's what I would say. It looks like, and um, it it can get. I mean, a hundred and sixty feet, just swimming, swimming, pulsing along the ocean. Um, yeah. And and then close behind that is um the lion's mane jellyfish, which yeah. is like a de- a good thirty six meters. I mean, actually, to be fair, the, the worm probably does beat that if you're counting the dead shriveled up ones. But the lion's mane jellyfish we've also seen alive that has really long tentacles. So what I'm getting at here is the top two or three solid live contenders that we've seen. That I, I and I think the top contender for largest animal on the planet, they're both members of the same phylum. That phylum, Henry, do you know what that phylum is? That contains hydrozoans, siphonophores, and jellyfish. No. Cnidaria. Right. So Cnidaria, Cnidaria is one of one of. It's a big deal phylum. It was a. So when, if, on the animal family tree, sponges are the first to go. They're the first to split off. They're the, the most distantly related animals to us. But the second distantly most related, um, are, well, or the third, depending on where you want to put tenophorons. The, the, the third most distantly related are the Nidarians, and that includes coral. That includes jellyfish. That includes uh, the Portuguese man of war and siphonophores and stuff like that. That includes hydras, which are these little tiny things you find in ponds. And that includes one other group, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're all kind of defined by having um, nematocysts, which are like stinging cells. You know, all of these kind of animals have some sort of stinging cell. Imagine you've got like a balloon and you, you sort of like put a golf, you, put, you wrap a golf ball in a balloon and then you blow up the balloon. After the balloon gets to a certain sort of volume, it, the golf ball pops out the middle. Yes. Yeah, right. If you imagine that, that that's how they work. So it's like a little harpoon inside a big cell. The cell gets inflated with liquid and the harpoon goes boop and it pops out and injects whatever you want with venom or something like that, right? Yeah, nice. And jellyfish do that and hydras do that. And you know, that, that's a defining trait of um, of uh, Adarians. And you, um, if you see these cells everywhere, you see them, you know, it's a sure sign you're dealing with an Adarian. And um, the biggest Adarians, you know, uh, you've got the siphonophore and you've got the, the lion's mane jellyfish. They get absolutely huge. I'm going to talk about the smallest animal now. Okay, because this this is actually probably even cooler. Um, if you look, if you Google the smallest animal in the world, you will get completely, completely wrong answers. Some of them will talk about hydras, which are also nodarians, yeah. but that's wrong, completely wrong. They're the thousands of times bigger than what I'm going to talk about. Some of them talk about fairy flies and stuff like that. Some of them talk about um, little parasitic things that live on the the face of lobsters, which make up a whole phyla on their own. They're Basically. all wrong. The answer is, it's something so small that we thought it was a protist. We thought it was like a, a, pro, a protozoa when we first discovered it. That's what I was expecting the smallest to be on that level. It's, of... it's that small, but it's an animal. Yeah, so, it's uh, so we have, um, there's a disease in fish. I think it's called like whirling, it's called like whirling disease or something. Um, and essentially it's when, if you see a salmon doing a weird little dance, that sort of goes like spasms back and forth or a trout, you know, doing that. It probably has this disease. And, and the guy first identified it. He thought he found it in the brain and he was like, ah, I found this parasite. It's causing, it's causing this disease. It's so small. It must be a, a single celled protozoan problem solved. Someone looked a little closer and said, okay, first of all, it's not really in the, um, it's not really in the brain. It's in the gut. 
and it's that's actually not it's not it's not really single celled. I mean, it's got it's kind of single celled, but it's got a few. It's got like a few more things that might be cells and like at different stages of its life cycle, it's got some extra cells. Okay, I'm not going to say it's single-celled, but I'm not going to say it's multi-celled. I'm going to say it's oligocelled. So single-celled means one cell. Multi-celled means lots of cells. Oligocelled means some cells. Some so cells. So like, like six cells. That's like, at least average. You can count the number of cells on about, you know, on your hands, like not many cells. And this confused people for a very, very long time. People originally thought this, this has to be a protest because it's so small. Then they thought maybe it's an algae or something. And then they saw the animal traits of it and they thought, okay, maybe, maybe we're dealing with something completely different. Because they found, they found these in um, – they, they, they separated these into two different groups. There was a group they found in fish, right, which is the first group they discovered. They, they called them – I think they called them um, just regular – what do they call them? Oh yeah, they call them Mixosporians. They're the, they're the Mixozoans that attack fish, and Mixozoans right. is the name of this group. So the Mixozoans that attack fish and the parasitized fish, like the ones we discovered, they're called the Mixosporians. And we found some other ones which attack worms, and then we're going to call them Actinosporians, right? And they're completely different. They have different numbers of cells, completely different structures. Maybe they might be really closely related, but they might be really distantly related. We don't know the relationship between these two groups. Maybe they're in different classes. Maybe they're in different phyla. I have no idea what's going on. And then some guy, some very clever guy said, okay, not only are these two groups in the same phyla, not only are they in the same class, in the same family, in the same genus, or the same species, these two groups are the same guy. Right. So it's the same guy at different stages of his life cycle. At different uh, stages of this animal's life cycle, they parasitize worms, and then they leave worms, and then they find a fish. They parasitize the fish. They leave the fish. They parasitize the worm ad infinitum. And does each the, time does they release... the fish eat the worm? Or... No, no, no. So they release spores at each stage. So what they do is they go, they, they get eaten by the worm, let's say, and they're in their... So the, the, the two phases, they have the mixosporean phase of their life cycle, right? Where they've just, been, they've just been ejected from the fish's bum. And they're looking around, right? And the mixosporean wants to find a worm. The mixosporean gets into the worm's gut, develops, and then has, has baby actinosporeans. Those actinosporeans go and find the fish, get in the fish's gut, make baby mixosporeans, which finds a worm, gets in the worm's gut, makes baby actinosporeans. It's an alternating life cycle between the fish sperm and the worm sperm and you, you switch between them you find a fish you make fish sperm you find a worm you make worm sperm repeat right that's that's the deal with these guys and the the worm sperm version of them is maybe six or seven cells and they're like 150 microns wide right so they're microns it's small but that is not as small as the fish sperm version the fish sperm version is like one cell and it's 10 microns. 10 microns? Yes. Still it an animal. 10, same it's gene, an animal. Same phylum as the largest. Same phylum as the 50 meter animal. All right. People are not appreciating the difference between microns and 50 meters. The, the, it, the difference between 50 meters and 10 microns is very, very large. It's 5 million times larger. 
five million. times larger. I mean, you could comfortably fit thousands and really? thousands of these on the head yeah. of a pin. Like it's it's unreal how small these guys can get, and that's the smallest. They, that's the smallest they get. And the thing is, it's really hard to tell species between these things. Like we don't really know what species is the smallest. We haven't found many. Really, really under under researched, very poorly known. This whole group, but it's probably the whirling disease mixer, and the one that causes the fish to do the spasms. That's probably the smallest animal that we we definitively know, or at least it's related to the smallest animals. And the re only reason that we know that they're omnidarians is we were looking at all these traits and they have so little traits that there's not a lot to go on. They do have, how they have, however, these special cells that they use as harpoons. When they get into the gut of a worm, they stab the gut of the worm with a harpoon and they like draw themselves in like a grappling hook. And that's how they stick to the gut. Same with the fish. And those are derived from the mattocysts. So instead of poisoning their prey, they use them to oh, grapple them. Yeah, that's, so they're, they're, well. that's that structure is how we knew that they were nadarians. That's a sure sign that it's a nadarian. So, I mean, you have this this phylum, which it's likely that the last common, the last time that um, Mixozoans and Siphonophores shared a common ancestor was back in the Ediacaran, which is is kind of the first time period that, that ever was before the Cambrian explosion, before everything, like in the garden of Ediacara, you know, this is when the first life was just beginning to give it a go. You know, there was like really weird, strange blobs and like little plants that were nice. not even nearly plant. Like, and then there a was whole, little golf balls and balloons. A whole, a whole very, very strange world of animals that essentially all died and the Cambrian explosion took over. But it was this weird little foray into what life might be like. And, and the animals that are around in the Ediacaran are spread all over the family tree. Spread like you find you find Kimberella here and you find you find this thing over there and it's all completely, completely random and it's completely it's just really strange about the garden. I could talk about Ediacara for ages. But the fact that their common ancestor was back then just shows how diverse these really are. Like one has gone into to hyper specialize, you know, Nidarians like brain corals and they're some of the most complex organisms on the planet. They have these like symbiotic relationships between three or four different organisms. They have huge genomes. And one of them has regressed so much, like gone so primitive, you know, gone wind back the clock so much. They've essentially lost everything that ever made them animal. And they're now single-celled spores floating around the ocean again. And they're the same group as, they're just, this, you know, evolution is so powerful in that sense. And um, that's the smallest animal and the largest animal in the world, Henry. I mean, it's you know, it's a good reason to like biology. Yeah, it is good. And if you if you ever Google smallest and largest animal, the answer will be wrong. These answers I've given you are the correct answers. Yeah, but you know, you could take a giant siphonophore. I could take that any day. Yeah, that's true. You probably couldn't take a blue whale. I say, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. I mean, yeah, I mean, blue whale versus giant siphonophore. Like, I'm sorry, but like if you if you break a giant siphonophore in half, you know, you've just got a lot of little zoids that are still more or less fine. They glow in the dark as well. They bioluminesce. They have yeah. these really clever mechanisms. Some siphonophores. I don't think this is one of the ones that does it, but some siphonophores have these mechanisms where, along the so they're a cylinder basically, right? And if you imagine a diameter across a cylinder, you can imagine yeah. each. Each um, individual cell has a pair, has like a, an, another paired cell that's across the cylinder from it, yeah, right? Yeah. 
like an opposite pair. Each cell has like a friend that's the maximum distance away on the other side of the circle. And you look, you wave to it from the inside of the cylinder, like, hey, you're my first pair. And each of these have been paired up, right? In a way that means that if one of them does one bioluminescent signal, the other one can read that bioluminescent signal and those two opposite pairs can coordinate their movement. So, and if each, if so each opposite it. pair, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, there's no way that there's, there's no nervous system on these things, right? They're just little individual animals. So the way that they communicate is through light, basically like a light show. No, that's one way cooler will... than your fact. <laughs> I know. Okay. There's a lot of facts in this. Okay. I got the siphonophores have a, a genius. I mean, yeah. you'd mentioned this to me before, but not, not the explanation. Mention it again. But yeah, they, they, they coordinate movement in sync and um, because they can they they match with antagonistic okay. pairs on the other side of the cylinder stop stop playing it down this is this is sorry right. hope fine it. playing it up um you know siphon of fours and the darons mix zones come at me i just like to yeah. you you know you're wrong on what it's nice to let you do this little rant about how worms are Great, because worms are at two ends of the spectrum, or the Ooh. worm. I'm just saying. <laughs> Whoa, I'm just saying, like going? the biggest animal is the blue whale. Why do you say that? Because it's heavier. Yeah. It's got more mass. That means it's got more stuff in it, and it's harder to sustain. Needs more calories. Burns more calories. He's I don't a chunky know. Monkey. It doesn't... All right, fine. If you want to make it into longest and shortest, I'm fine with that. But I don't know. If you, it's a neutral. It's like a, a lead ball bigger than a, a dinghy. You know. Ooh. Ooh. I think I think you could you could get into some messy messy regions if you if you just care about mass. Yeah, but a dinghy beats a leg ball. A, no, a lead ball beats a dinghy in a fight. They're not fighting. <laughs> a pin beats a dinghy in a fight. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know. So it needs to be both massive. Sorry, are you saying beat... which animal can beat all other animals in a fight? That's a good question, to be honest. What animal <laughs> is the winning very animal? Good which animal I guess it... in single combat is the best evolved? In single combat, I mean, you, you have um animals which can sort of self-destruct, which I guess can kill kind of anything, right? Animals that produce extreme levels of of toxin, but then you're, that can only be. What about that's like very specific. poison that's quite dart a good frog? Question. Yeah, Poison's no, but that's only going to go kill. Because you can only kill half the stuff with a poison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe it, like it, you have to be like a. It has to be mechanical, doesn't it? An arsenic producing thing, <laughs> like. Or 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 a thing that just deals the mechanical power, you know. Depends Maybe next time. I reckon next episode, Henry, I'm going to come to you with a what animal do I think could beat all other animals in a fight? Could I could I come to you with my one? Yeah, that's good. I think we should do that. You're listening to the Substandard Model. 